The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream today. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be upon us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So the chief priests, with the scribes and elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. 
Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. He rolled a great stone over the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made a tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout the pages of scriptures, one of the images which we see most commonly associated with God is his image as king of the universe. It is most fitting for him. All things in this creation are rightfully his possession, for they are the works of his own hands. As Psalm 95 says, The Lord is a great God, a great King above all the mighty ones. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, because he made it, and his own hand formed the dry land. 
All things in creation belong to God. He is the sovereign majesty who rules over all things in heaven and on earth. All things have been created that they may serve and glorify him. And chief among his creations is man, the one whom out of all beings in this world he created to be in his own image. Man, whom God endowed with princely virtue to be made in his own image, the one who was the co-ruler with God of this creation, the one who stewarded the creation that God had made in his own name. We ourselves, made in God's image, made to reflect his glory in this world, and endowed with all the due honor and dignity that comes from that image which we bear. but for our sin. Our sin has cast all of this aside. Our sin has robbed us of our princely virtue. Our sin has set us and the entirety of the creation against God, against his will and his ways, into the perversion and corruption of our own flesh. We lust over that which is contrary to God's word. We desire that which God would not have. We assume for ourselves the throne that is due rightly only to God. We must understand this about our sins. Our sins are not casual mistakes. They are not simple human errors. They are acts of rebellion, acts of sedition acts of usurpation against the goodness of God, whereby we seek to claim for ourselves rights that do not belong to us, to put ourselves in God's throne, to grant ourselves the dignity of master, and to take away from him that which rightly belongs to him. It therefore follows that the image of the Christ who is to come is the image of the king who is to put to flight the enemies of God, the one who is to restore the creation to the way it ought to be, the one who is to put an end to this silly rebellion of man and at last put himself on the throne and God back in his rightful place in all of creation to expose the folly of those who have rebelled, to bring about God's judgment upon this earth, to see all sin purged and cast into hellfire. This is the Christ, the King, the Son of David, even he who comes in the name of the Lord. What we read of today is Christ's kingly procession. And yet, it is an odd procession. For Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the city which God has claimed to be his own, the place that he has made to be the seat of his throne on earth, and a city that is the epicenter of this rebellion against God's word. These people who have turned their hearts from him and wandered astray into idolatry and false teaching. These people who receive the Christ not with loud hosannas, but with anger and enmity. And the few among their ranks who do chant the hosannas, they are captives. They are the minority. They are not those who rule, but those who are subjugated. 
Their cry for the king is not the heart of the city, but rather their proclamation is distinctly at odds with what Jerusalem would have. Jerusalem is the seat of the rebellion. Jerusalem is the heart of this enmity of man with God. And yet Jesus approaches it as though triumph has already come. It is not fitting that a king should begin his triumphal procession while the enemy still holds the city. Rather, he should come with his war horses in tow. He should come with the angel legions to put to death all of these sinners who have raised the sword against him. The streets of Jerusalem should not be strewn with palms, but with blood. The cries that go up should not be, Hosanna, but spare us. He should take his throne amidst a people subjugated, a people brought low, a people who have been made to see the folly of their error, and a people who now know the terror of his own sword. It's what any earthly king would have done if he found himself in such a situation. But the events that we read today remind us Our king is no earthly king. Our king is the son of David, the son of God. Our king is he who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count his equality a thing to be grasped at all cost, but rather a loving and obedient son who made himself nothing, who took upon himself the form of a servant, gave himself over to death, even death on a cross, so that this king might save his enemies. Therein lies the great mystery of God's love, that though no one truly greeted him right, though even those who claimed to be his own ran from him in the time of need, and though the only people who kneeled to him on that day were those who mocked and scorned him, still, The cross was exactly the place where he desired to be known as king. For his kingship is not one of arms and violence. It is not one of tyranny. It is not one of might makes right or asserting his power by virtue of his strength. But Christ's kingship is known in his mercy. It is known in his weakness. It is known in his humility. It is known in his own giving up of his life that he might sanctify and cleanse sinners, that he might grant them amnesty, that he might grant them pardon from their rebellion, that he might say even to those who raise the sword against him, I have claimed you to be my own. I have freed you from this rebellion. I will have you back. And I will prove it to you by bearing in my body the strike of your blade, the lash of your whips, the pain of your nails, the discomfort of this cross, the shame of this death. Whatever I must bear for you, I as your king will bear, and I will have you as my own. 
I will have you live in this kingdom which I am preparing free from sin, free from those who oppress you, free from death and from the destruction that is due you for your error. And I will present you blameless before my Father in heaven that you may no longer look upon him as your stern judge, but indeed as your own Father, as your own loving God who has prepared for you an inheritance with me, a throne of your own in this kingdom that I am to prepare. Such is the mercy of Christ revealed to us in his cross. And such is the blessed hope and confidence that we have. For indeed, if we look around, we find that we are still in the midst of a kingdom in rebellion. We are still in the midst of people who do not have love for God or his ways in the midst of people who scorn the name of Christ and who would scorn our name as Christians. But Christ has gone to his cross for us. Christ has bled and died for us. Christ has secured for us a resurrection and a life which nothing in this world can take away from us. And he bids us to look out into this world full of sin and death and corruption and to remember that his blood is for them too. To remember that the holy inheritance that we have been given is one for us to share with all the world. That the shame of the cross is in fact our greatest pride, our greatest joy and comfort, our greatest glory in the midst of this world. And what can we do but boldly proclaim the glory that has been revealed to us in the cross of Christ? And what can we do but endure the afflictions of this world, knowing that there is prepared for us a kingly glory that surpasses everything we have lost in this world? What is there for us to do but to believe, to pray, to rejoice? What is there for us to do but to look upon our King on the cross and have our hearts be filled with joy to know what a precious gift has been offered on our behalf? Indeed, there is nothing more. There is nothing greater than for our hearts to be filled with the cross of Christ and for our lives to daily be lived under its shadow. For in it we find refuge from the afflictions of this life. Under the shade of his cross, the sun cannot scorch. Under the cover of his blood, the devil cannot reach us. And under the hand of his grace, nothing can rob us of this priceless treasure. Then indeed, let the passion be upon our hearts. Let us prepare with palms and hands to meet our king when he comes again. Let us prepare to meet him with our own hosannas. Let us prepare to stand before him as those redeemed by his blood, as princes of his retinue, ready to meet him with all joy, ready to take our place in his throne and acclaim him as our God and Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And let this give us strength all the days of our life, even when we too shall feel the sting of death, for we know that our King first felt that sting, and he has forever dulled its reach upon us, so that anything 
whatever we lose, whether it be the comforts of this life or even our very breath, we know that all things are commended to our Lord and that as Jesus gave his life for us, so too he gives his life to us. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.